It doesn't do any good to just feel differently. You have to behave differently. Accept the risk of vulnerability. Accept your partner. Be a good friend. Promote their self-esteem. Don't vent your frustrations at home. Make yourself happy, not right. These are action steps, things that you need to do differently. If you do things that makes your partner feel better about who they are, I promise you things are going to feel better at home. Well, we've been taking a journey talking about relationships, and if we look back over the journey, you remember I started out by talking about the relationship you have with yourself. You remember the reason I started there is because I said, you know yourself better than anyone else. Therefore, if you don't like you, and you know yourself better than I do, then I'm inclined to take your word for it. I mean, you spend more time with you than I do. You know yourself more intimately than I do, and if you have decided with more data than I have that you're not a quality human being, who am I to second-guess the person that has more information? Therefore, I want you to get along with you. I want you to be your best friend. I want you to accept yourself, flaws, fallacies, and all. Nobody's perfect. You're not going to be the perfect partner. And by the way, if you're looking for a partner, don't spend your life looking for the perfect partner. If you can make a list of all the things you want, all the things you need in a partner, and you can find a candidate that's 80%, you better bag them, tag them, and take them home. Because you're going to find that you can grow the other 10 or 20% in a lot less time than you would spend looking for someone that had that other 10 or 20%. You're never going to find 100%, but if you find someone that has the core characteristics that you believe are non-negotiable, other things you can learn to live with or you can grow. So I hope I've thought provoked you enough in looking at your partner and telling you that one of the things you have to do is accept your partner, that you've stopped obsessing over small things, you've stopped obsessing over idiosyncrasies, and ask yourself, does this person have the core characteristics and values of who I want to spend my life with? And if they do, then their nuances, their idiosyncrasies, the differences that define them, you can live with those things. You need to lighten up. I told you there was a formula for success in a relationship, and I'm going to give you a caution here, and I really hope you hear me. If you really have just kind of half listened to the other seven episodes in this series, if you really haven't done the soul searching, if you haven't filled out the different surveys, questionnaires, and tests that I've put on the website, you're not ready for this formula for success in a relationship. There's an old saying that would fit nicely on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker, a poor workman quarrels with his tools. What does that mean? A poor workman quarrels with his tools. If somebody doesn't really know how to use a tool, They don't really know how to use information. They're going to find fault with the tool or the information. But if they've prepared themselves for the next level, if they've prepared themselves to use the tool or information, then they'll make use of it. But if I hand you a shovel and you dig with the wrong end, I can't help you. So I hope you've done what you need to do. And if you haven't, it's not too late. You can go back and ask yourself some of the hard questions. For example, one of the things I've said that you have to do is a relationship autopsy. 
Go back and figure out if your relationship's in the ditch, what have you done to put it there? If you are in a second relationship, a second marriage, or you're getting ready to get into one, you're really not ready if you haven't gone back and figured out what you did to run the first one off in the ditch. So I'm just saying, I hope you've asked yourself the hard questions. I hope you've taken your victim hat off and said, I own my relationship. Okay, I can't do any more than just tell you that. I hope you have, and if you haven't, I hope you do. Here's the formula. Now, I'm going to say this to you several times, so you don't need to pull your car over and write this down. The quality of a relationship is a function of the extent to which it is based on a solid underlying friendship and meets the needs of the two people involved. Now, let me say that again. The quality of a relationship is a function of, meaning it depends on, a solid underlying friendship and to the extent it meets the needs of the two people involved. Two people involved. Not just you, the two people involved. So let's break that down. It's a function of a solid underlying friendship. Now, in episode seven, we talked about how you have to have a good friendship to have a good relationship. And I talked about the fact that you'll invest more with people that you dissocially know, then you will sometimes invest with people with whom you have an intimate relationship. Remember, I said you'll go to work and say, hey, how's it going? Did you see that game last night? Blah, 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 blah. But you'll pass your partner in the hall at home and just go, uh, hey. If that, there's something wrong with that. You want to invest the most where you have the most invested. You've already invested a lot in the people that you're living with, have children with, have years of shared history with. That's where you want to invest your energy, your effort. Now, let's talk about the solid underlying friendship. I don't know if you fell in love immediately with your significant other or if you had a friendship first and it grew into something romantic. It doesn't really matter. But ask yourself if you stopped being good friends. Ask yourself if you have allowed your relationship to become problem-driven, where all you do is you solve problems. You solve kid problems, money problems, in-law problems, activities of daily living problems, house problems, whatever. And if that's true, if that is your relationship or it defines too much of your relationship, then let's make a plan to start being friends again. And how do you do that? Well, I've said you own your relationship, so you can define it as a solid underlying friendship again. What do you do with your friends? Think about the two or three best friends that you have in your life, not your significant other. The two or three best friends that you have in your life. What do y'all do? What do you talk about? What do you focus on? What do you laugh about? What do you share about? And find a corollary to that with your significant other. You don't always talk about work. If it's a coworker, when you go to lunch, what do you talk about? Do you talk about something that you read in the paper? you talk about a TV show last night? Do you talk about fun things that aren't task-oriented? If all you ever deal with in your relationship are problems, then you have a problem relationship. Think about that. If all you ever deal with in your relationship are problems, then you have a problem relationship. And if the person that you are always solving problems with is your significant other, you're not going to want to see them come through the door because you know, here comes trouble. Here comes problems. You associate them with problems. You don't associate them with laughter. 
You don't associate them with joy. It's like the Grim Reaper coming through the door. You know, this is just somebody that I associate with problems. You know, there's a statistic, a sad and tragic statistic, that partners who go through major trauma, one of them has a serious illness, or a child is lost to an illness or an accident, some tragedy like that, they typically have a very difficult time adjusting, and they have an uncommonly high divorce rate. Now, why do they have an uncommonly high divorce rate? Because they went through this problem together, and now they are a trigger for each other. Every time you look at your wife, you think about those hours at the hospital walking in the waiting room, sitting in there, holding hands, and you think, well, that would bond you together. It may have at the time, but now you associate that person with all of that pain, all of that agony, all of that misery. Now, can you work through that? Of course you can, but most people don't. We associate people with everything that's in their aura, everything that surrounds them. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. So ask yourself, what is your partner most likely to associate you with? And the answer is, what are the most common topics and issues that the two of you talk about? Do the two of you talk about funny movies? Do the two of you talk about planning interesting adventures? Do you talk about accomplishments and achievements that you've each been able to create in your lives? Or do you talk about There's not enough money. Your kid's on drugs. Your mother keeps interfering. If it's problem, 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 then they're going to associate you with a problem. What I want you to do is subtly, a step at a time, get your partner to start associating you with joy. Start associating you with fun, with safety, with peace, with tranquility, with excitement. Think of all the positive words, adjectives that you can imagine and say, that's what I want to be associated with. It's the old joke, I'm the government and I'm here to help you. (laughs) How often do you get a letter from the government and they're there to help you? How about never? They're there to regulate you, penalize you, charge you. They don't ever write you just to let you know how well you're doing as a citizen. When was the last time you got a letter from the government said, hey, I just wanted to drop you a line and let you know how well we think you're doing as a citizen. I don't remember getting a letter like that, so that's why there's the old joke, hey, I'm your government and I'm here to help you. Yeah, no. No, you're not. Trust me, I'm your government. No, nobody trusts the IRS. Are you kidding me? They associate them with problems and payments and taking money, et cetera, et cetera. What are you associated with? And the way to do that is to sit down and say, what are the 20 most common topics we've talked about in the last month? And how many of those would you put in the fun column, the positive column, the health engendering column, the building self-esteem column, the peace and tranquility column, the hate, let me take that off of you column, 
If you wonder why your partner seems distant from you, it may well be because they're distant from you. It's not a perception, it's a reality. They do distance themselves from you because they associate you with pain. They associate you with problems. They associate you with negativity. You can change that by becoming a good friend. What do good friends do? I keep saying this. Good friends laugh. Good friends talk. Good friends share about fun things in their life. Good friends talk about movies, TV shows, trips they took, something funny that happened. That's what they talk about. That's what they laugh about. They stick up for each other. They have each other's back. They compliment each other. They find something positive to comment on with each other. They tease each other. They joke around. When was the last time you joked around with your partner? Well, if the answer is, I can't remember, that's a problem. Next thing you have to ask is, when I talk about does your partner feel safe with you, I don't mean do they think you're going to rob them. Do they think you're going to abandon them in the middle of the highway somewhere? I mean, do they feel safe with you emotionally? Or do they think no matter what they do, you're going to judge them? How judgmental are you? Because if they associate you with judging them, trying to control them, trying to dictate to them, they're not going to have a good reaction to you. Whereas on the other hand, if they have the expectation that whatever they do, It's going to be okay with you. Where they do something this way or that way, as long as it gets done, you're not going to judge it. It's kind of live and let live. You're okay with them doing what they do the way they do it, and they're okay with you doing what you do the way you do it. You just tend to accept each other. So how do you want to be reacted to? Like, here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Or here comes my friend and lover. What is it you want them to? to see, anticipate, and respond to when they regard you. You need to ask yourself what you are inducing in them. So ask yourself what reaction you're pulling for. Are you judgmental? Are you controlling? Are you dictatorial? And if you are, they're going to associate negatives with you. The way to change that is change your interaction patterns. What would they do If you came home and you had not one critical thing to say, you didn't quiz them. You didn't go through the Spanish Inquisition about what he or she spent money on. You didn't go through the Spanish Inquisition about why they did something this way instead of that way, why they said this to their mother instead of that to their mother. Remembering that 80% of all questions are statements in disguise, when you start asking questions, well, why did you say this to your mother? Well, why did you let him do that? Well, why did you do... Those aren't questions. Those are judgments. They are pronouncements, which is why I subtitled this series, How Much Fun Are You to Live With? If you are constantly questioning, interrogating, judging, and attempting to control, then how much fun you live with? Not much. If your partner is used to and has a knee-jerk reaction to being judged, you're not much fun to live with. So if you come home and criticize your wife or your husband, your partner, for the way they manage your in-laws, they're not going to have much of a positive anticipation of interacting with you. Do you do that with your friends? Do you meet your friend for lunch and say, okay, so why did you say that to your husband? Why did you say that to your mother-in-law? Why did you let him do 
if you do, you're not going to be having much company at lunch next week. You're going to be there by yourself because somebody's going to say, listen, I, I don't want to go to lunch with that person. I don't want to spend time with them because they beat me up the whole time. I'd rather go get a peanut butter sandwich and sit on a bench than go sit with this person. I just don't want to listen to it. I don't want to hear it. So what do you need to do? You need to resolve, if I want a good friend, I need to be a good friend. Now think about that. If I want my partner to be a good friend, then I need to be a good friend. And I want to live with a good friend. So I need to be a good friend. You get what you give. I strongly believe in the principle of reciprocity. We talked about that earlier. You get what you give. So the quality of a relationship is a function of the extent to which it is based on a solid underlying friendship. And I'm telling you, you need to assess how good of a friend you are being. Not how good of a friend your partner is being, not how good of a friend your spouse is being, how good of a friend you are being. Are you judging? Are you criticizing? Are you questioning? Or are you being a good friend? And that's what I want you to focus on. Be a good friend. The first four minutes, remember I said the first four minutes, you come home, you do not talk about problems. How about making that the first eight minutes, the first 12 minutes? How about letting it set the tone, and that's what you deal with? Now, can you do that all the time? Well, of course not. There are problems that you have to deal with. But if it defines your relationship, that doesn't work. Now, you're going to fold under pressure. I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, you're going to fold under pressure unless you do what I'm getting ready to tell you to do, which is going to seem really awkward. I want you to role play this situation. I want you to decide before you get with your partner the next time. Maybe you work outside the home. Maybe your partner works outside the home. Maybe you both work outside the home. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But when you're apart and you come back together, you need to script yourself. You need to have a do's and don't list, and you need to recognize what I've said before. You do not have to react to every poke you get. You don't have to react to every stimulus they throw out there. You can let it slide. So you need to script yourself. There are five fun things I'm going to talk about tonight, and I will not get off topic. I will not get off script. When I go home tonight, when I see my partner for the first time today, I'm going to talk about one, two, three, four, or five of these things. I'm going to tell a joke. I'm going to relate a funny story. I'm going to do something that keeps it positive. And if I have a problem, then we'll deal with it tomorrow. But today, I'm going to be a fun date. I'm going to be a good friend. I'm going to talk about something positive. And by the way, something positive doesn't mean talking about you. As I said, a person's most favorite topic is themselves. Focus on your partner. Find something about them to be interested in. Have them tell you a story. Have them regale you with tales of something. Be interested in them, their life, what they're doing, what's important to them. Be a good audience. If you want to be a good friend, be a good audience. Be an interested audience. Be an engaged audience. Be an eye contact plugged in audience. It sounds simple. The formula for success in a relationship 
is the extent to which it's based on a solid underlying friendship. Well, that's not so easy because you may well have a well-entrenched pattern of not being a good friend. You may be in a really entrenched relationship being a problem solver, a problem partner, a judge, an inquisitor, a fault finder. You got to throw all that out and say, it may break my jaw not to say it, but I'm going to go home and I'm going to talk about fun stuff. And you can say, well, Dr. Phil, that's fine. We may go bankrupt in the meantime. Well, you'll be happy and bankrupt. But decide you're going to be a good friend. Support your partner. Take your partner's side always. But what if they're wrong? Well, you can still support them. You can still be understanding. And maybe down the road, there's an opportunity to suggest a different approach. But if they're upset, if they feel like they've been hurt, somebody's treated them unfairly, take their side. Be understanding with them. The opportunity will present itself to authentically suggest modification. But be a supporter. I read a little book a long time ago called Balcony People by Joyce Landorf Heatherly. Talks about just what it says. Balcony People. We all have want, need people in our balcony. People that no matter what we do, there's just some people that are just always in your balcony cheering you on. You can just count on them. They're just always going to be there. We all need balcony people. Be one of your partner's balcony people. Have their back. Take their side. Be their encourager. Do friends tell each other the truth? Yes, they do. But there's a difference between being genuine and being brutally honest. You remember us talking about that. Genuine conveys the message. Brutally honest conveys the message without consideration for the impact of the way you convey it, the timing of when you convey it. So the first part of this relationship formula is success depends on a solid underlying friendship. If you don't have that, it doesn't matter what the second part is. You have to be good friends. And if you don't know how to be a good friend, you need to stop and think about how to be a good friend. Now, I ask you if you had done the work and you were ready to turn your attention to applying this relationship formula. I'm going to ask you a few questions and see if you can answer yes. If you can't, you're not ready to start being a good friend. I realize that it's not too late. Can you say that honestly, that you realize it's not too late? It is reasonable for me to want a rewarding and fulfilling relationship. Can you say that in earnest, that it's reasonable to want that? I am entitled to and deserve a high-quality, caring relationship. Because if you don't think you deserve it, you'll never get it. I have identified the wrong thinking that has previously contaminated my relationship. We've been through the myths. We've been through the bad spirit. We've been through the point that you are not a victim, that you own your relationship. So if you've identified the wrong thinking that's previously contaminated your relationship, then you're ready to move on. 
I have identified the bad spirits that contaminate my relationship. Have you done that work? Have you written down the bad spirits, the ones I listed that you're guilty of doing? I have embraced the personal relationship values that will configure me for success. We've talked about those things. I have diagnosed and gotten real about the pain and problems in my relationship so that you can talk about the issues and not just the topics. And if that's true, then you're ready to move forward. I accept and acknowledge full ownership of my contribution to where this relationship is. You own it. You recognize I either elicit, maintain, or allow whatever this relationship is. And lastly, I am committed to tapping into my core of consciousness. I am actively going to choose what kind of partner I am. If you can say yes to those statements, then you're ready to embark on this formula, the first part of which is creating a solid underlying friendship. And yes, those statements will be listed on the website. And if you can't fully endorse any one of those, you're not ready to move forward. Now, let's turn to the second half of this formula. It's a function of the extent to which it meets the needs of the two people involved. That means you have two jobs. Job number one, you need to teach your partner what your needs are. Because for this to work, it has to meet both of your needs. So you have a job. You have to teach your partner what your needs are. Number two, you have to work to discover the needs of your partner. Now think of what I just said. You have to work to teach your partner your needs because this is not going to be a high-quality relationship if your needs aren't met and your partner can't meet your needs if they don't know what they are. It would be great if you and your partner have been going through this series together because it means you're both listening right now. So you're both going to undertake these two jobs, which means you're going to be running towards each other. But most likely, you're listening to this by yourself. So your partner may not actively be seeking to learn what your needs are, so you're going to have to motivate them to want to learn. But you have to give yourself permission to say, I'm entitled for my needs to be acknowledged. I'm entitled for them to be known. And you cannot teach your partner your needs if you don't know what they are, right? What are your needs? What do you need from this relationship? Well, you need to be loved. You need to feel safe. You need to know that your partner's proud of you. You need to know that your partner trusts you, appreciates you, wants to spend time with you, is attracted to you, is turned on by you, is intrigued by you. What are your needs? So to do this, you have to recognize that needs are not weaknesses. For you to pretend that you don't need someone mentally, emotionally, physically, socially, that's just a scam. I mean, you do need them. So let's just get real about it. You need to sit down and make a list of what your needs are that your partner can fulfill. You say, well, I need a better job. Well, unless your partner is your employer, then that's not relevant. What do you need that your partner can give you? Number one need in all people is acceptance. You can put synonyms in there, success, belongingness, but it's all that somebody likes you, wants to be with you, wants to be around you, wants to have them in their life. Yeah, okay. That's right. That's a need. Is it important to you that you know that your partner's proud of you and what you do? 
who you are, what you've achieved and accomplished, the work you do, the person you are, the things you believe in, the pursuits that you undertake. What are your needs? Do you need quiet time? Do you need alone time? What is it you need? It's important that you can articulate those things to your partner so they don't have to read your mind. Why should they have to guess at what you need? They shouldn't. They may see things in you you need that you don't realize. That's great. But you at least need to be in touch with what you believe you need and communicate those things to your partner. Your second job is to discover what your partner's needs are. What's important to them? And a lot of this will depend on what their history has been. Robin and I both grew up with alcoholic fathers, and there is, as stereotypical as it may sound, there is a dynamic for kids that grow up with alcoholic fathers. They do become very independent and self-reliant. They do tend to do things alone. They have a fear of depending on other people because they have a history of being disappointed and let down. So if you have a partner that has been abandoned by a parent, abused by a parent, if you have a partner that was sexually molested, know what their vulnerabilities are. Know what their hot buttons are. Know what they need to soothe those wounds. If they were from a big family and they had to fight for attention, they had to fight for their place in the world. I married Robin, as you all know. She was from a family of five children, four girls and one boy, and she was the youngest girl from a very low-income family. Her mother was really good at sewing. What does that mean? Well, it means that they never got store-bought clothes. All their clothes were made by their mother. What does it also mean? She was the youngest. So that means almost everything she got was a hand-me-down from an older sister. She never got any new clothes. She never got store-bought clothes. And to complicate it further, she's a twin. So that means she had to share everything with a twin. So she's the youngest of four girls and a twin. It was like everything was half. And to make it worse, her birthday's three days after Christmas. You go through Christmas, and then three days later, it's your birthday. And it's like, you know, we're kind of burned out on giving gifts here. We did everything we could at Christmas, so at Christmas time, they'd say, that last present, just save that one for three days. That'll be your birthday present. It's like, come on. So you grow up your whole life, the youngest of four girls, all your clothes are hand-me-downs, all your clothes are homemade, you share everything with your twin, and then your birthday's three days after Christmas. It's like, come on, give me a break here. Now, if you know Robin and you've seen her wardrobe, That's important to her. I know that. So I never complain about that's important to her. It's more important to her than it is to me. You give me some tennis shorts, a t-shirt, and some tennis shoes with some rubber on them, I'm good to go. That just wasn't important to me. But it doesn't matter that it's important to me. It's important to her. I need to know her needs. You need to really focus on whether it's important to your partner or whether it's important to you. Think about it. You're laying in bed at night. And you have a little five-year-old child that wakes you up, says, Mommy, I'm thirsty. And you say, well, I'm not. Go back to bed. Well, you'd never do that. You'd say, you're not getting a drink because I'm not thirsty. You'd get them a drink because they're thirsty. 
Well, I can't say to my wife, don't go buy clothes because they're not important to me. It's not important to me to go buy clothes, so you shouldn't. That's ridiculous. She places a value on looking nice and presenting well and having a nice wardrobe. That's important to her. So I'm not going to say, well, don't do that because it's not important to me. And it is important to me that she looks nice. I love that about her. I love her sense of style and all. But my point is, I recognize her need where she was in the birth order, four girls, sharing with a twin, blah, 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 blah. Learn your partner's needs. Be sensitive, even if they don't know how to articulate it. If they've been through trauma, they've been through tragedy of some sort. I mean, come on. It doesn't take Einstein to figure out that they have vulnerabilities there. Learn their needs. Real important point I'm making to you here is don't judge your partner's needs when you discover them. The worst thing in the world you can do is get your partner to open up to you and make disclosures about their intimate needs for you to then say, well, that's just silly. Don't judge your partner's needs, your partner's disclosures. Work to discover them, look at their history. You make some inferences, validate those inferences with them. But when they do disclose that, it's really important that you handle that with sensitivity as though it were a fragile egg. There are certain things that your partner may tell you they need, that they may need from you, that you may think they're just wrong. That They already have that. They don't need that. They're just wrong. That's not how you feel. That's not what you do. No, that's not the time to place to do that. You got to decide you want to be right or you want to be happy. When they disclose something to you, you need to be a real good steward of that information. And let me tell you the biggest mistake you can ever make in your relationship. If your partner discloses something to you in this process I'm talking about with regard to discovering needs and them sharing with you, telling you what they need, what's important to them based on their vulnerabilities or maybe based on wounds that they've carried throughout their life. If you ever, ever violate that by bringing it up in an argument later, and throwing it up in their face like they've entrusted to you that they feel particularly hypersensitive because they were molested as a child, and later you say, well, I guess that's just because you were molested. Stop your sentence, go pack your bags, load your car, and move your happy ass down the road because there ain't no coming back from that. When someone takes the risk of entrusting you with their truth, vulnerabilities, needs, pain, and you then use that to leverage them later in an argument, that is a violation of the worst order. And I can tell you I've seen it happen, and there was no coming back from it. It is a violation of trust. It's like, I want to know your needs because I want to meet them. And they tell you that, and then you use it against them. That is psychopathic exploitation. 
and they will dump you and should. You must be good stewards of that information, and don't you ever, I don't care how upset you are, I don't care if it's in divorce papers five years later, I don't care how, why it comes up, that is never okay. Never, ever, never okay. So, you have two jobs. Teach them what your needs are and learn what their needs are. And it's real hard sometimes to sit down and say, well, let me think what my needs are. I don't really know. So I'm going to help you do that. On the website, I'm going to put in a section of helping you build your personal profile. I'm going to give you a list of suggestions for several different categories. One is emotional needs. Let me give you a few examples of what will be listed there. The need to feel and be told that you're loved. The need to feel that you're a priority in your partner's life. The need to feel accepted, flaws, fallacies, and all. The need to feel desired. That's just like three or four out of 15 or so that I'm going to list for you. And those are just suggestions. You may have 10 more, but those are some pretty broadly applicable needs. Physical needs. The need to be touched and caressed. The need to be physically welcomed when you encounter your partner, that they open up to you, they hug you, they pat you on the back. The need for a satisfying and rewarding sex life. Then I'm going to have a category of spiritual needs. The need to feel that your personal spiritual values are supported without judgment, even if they're not shared. Social needs. The need to be remembered with calls and acknowledgments when apart. The need to hear sweet things in the social environment. The need to share fun and joy in social situations. And then lastly, I want to give you some suggestions on security needs. The need to feel that your partner will rally to your aid if the need arises. The need to be supported by your partner. The need to know that your partner is permanently committed. So I'm going to list those categories there. These are just to help you jumpstart. I'm also going to put something down to help you build your partner's profile, how aware and tuned in to them you are. And there's going to be a quiz on the website called a Partner Awareness Quiz. And I'm going to ask you 20 questions to test how well you know your partner. And these are little simple everyday things like, I can describe what my partner considers to be his or her greatest area of difficulty in interacting with each of their parents. I can describe the most traumatic event that occurred in my partner's childhood. I know which part of a restaurant menu my partner is likely to look at first. It just gets into how well you really know your partner on a day-to-day basis. And then I'm going to put some things in there that help you build out a family history so you know what your partner and you are bringing with you historically. So I'm going to have a family history section in there so you can say, wow, now that I write that down, that kind of tells me a little bit about why he or she does the things that he or she does. I think by going through some of these things, some of these surveys and quizzes, it's going to really trigger you up to tune in to your needs as well as your partner's needs. I think it's going to make a big, big difference in helping you get started in identifying your list. So once again, the quality of a relationship is a function of the extent to which it's based on a solid underlying friendship and meets the needs 
of the two people involved. So that means you need to work on your friendship. If you want a good friend, be a good friend. And then you have two jobs. One is to teach your partner your needs, which you can't do if you don't know them. So I'm putting things on the website to help you. And then job number two is discover the needs of your partner. So I'm putting some things on the website that will help you, trigger you, to tune in to some of your partner's needs and what they might be. And then the question is, are you committed enough to work to meet those needs? We're in episode eight, the final episode. If you've come this far, I'm betting you're committed enough to try and make those needs a priority and meet those needs for your partner. I hope you realize how much power you have in this relationship. And you know what? If you do the things that we're talking about and your partner doesn't respond, you have the peace of mind of knowing you've done above and beyond. You've stopped being a victim and started being an action-oriented change agent in your relationship. That should give you a tremendous amount of peace. But I'm telling you, when you do these things, you're going to see changes on the other end because I am a strong believer that you get what you give. So this has been Relationship Reality Check. The question was, how much fun are you to live with? I'm betting, after you spending this time, that you're going to be a whole lot more fun to live with. And every one of these I've done has been a great reminder to me to be a better partner. Been a great reminder to me to keep those relationship skills honed and focus on the things that brought me together with my wife 48 years ago. So I've been learning every step of the way, as I hope you guys have been. And I hope this series has been a value and I hope you'll recommend it to a lot of other people to listen to as well. And this is something you can come back to and listen to parts and pieces of it as you need. Relationships are managed, they're not cured. And management is active and ongoing. So hang in there. And remember, you create the results in life that you believe you deserve. So claim your right to have a first-class relationship and don't settle for anything less. I'm Dr. Phil. I'll see you around.